Instead of my usual sermon opening with a doxology from the book of Revelation, um, the more traditional way Lutheran pastors for decades, really centuries, have opened their sermons as the Apostle Paul does many of his letters and especially address not only to our one confirmand with us today, but to all of them also in the next worship service. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's sermon text is the Holy Gospel you just heard from Matthew chapter 16, actually a continuation of what we heard last week, today, part two, and, 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 and both messages from both Sundays fit so well what happens on Confirmation Sunday and what should happen then afterwards. Before I get into the verses we have today, let me look back at the previous verses. Last Sunday, the message was lips confessing Christ. I will mention here that something I wanted to include but did not was the end of that section where uh, Jesus calls Simon the rock, Peter, and says on this rockiness, remember I emphasized a little change in words there in the Greek, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. As it were, we're breaking down the doors of hell and pulling people from damnation. If they're already there, of course, they cannot be released. But amongst us, there are people headed there and Satan, Satan must yield to the gospel we proclaim. Indeed, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, Jesus said, not only to Peter, but to all the apostles and to the whole church we know later. And whatever you loose and forgive on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In the confirmation instruction, there's that whole section about the office of the keys. And Jesus used that terminology too. To Peter and all the apostles, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. We open up heaven with a proclamation of full forgiveness in Jesus Christ, his work. We speak in his name with power, but that, that was last week. The main points I emphasized last week about lips confessing Jesus Christ is that speaking Christ is important because it's commanded here and elsewhere. Jesus provoked his disciples. Who do you say that I am? We must speak his name and what he has done. Not only that, we need to remember in confessing our sin, we forget to speak or we mess it up because we're not in the word. But again, there's power, great power at work when we speak his name. I made one final point last week. I said that that message of speaking Jesus Christ, that's the beginning of, and then I tease you, come back next week. By the way, 
in a minute, Timothy, and then all the confirmands will promise to be faithful in God's uh, means of grace, uh, hearing his word and receiving the sacrament, um, gathering together on Sundays. I always say what's almost more important than Confirmation Sunday is the next Sunday. And I know COVID-19 has changed our habits with gathering together, but all things equal, it's so important not just to show up on special occasions, but to have this routine, a good routine of growing in God's word. Things connect from week to week. Not only this two-part sermon series, but the, the way things flow in our epistle from Romans week by week and the development of Christ's grace in your faith. We do have part two today. It goes hand in hand. Not only lips confessing Christ, which happens so very formally in the rite of confirmation, but even more important as not only Timothy goes forth and all our confirmands, all of us, then lives confessing Christ. I think that's the follow-up. This is the same scene it appears in Matthew right after Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ and receives all these blessings. Blessed are you, Simon, Heaven and earth has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Right after that, there's a disconnect. Did you notice this? Jesus began, first of all, to show his disciples that he must suffer and die and rise, he predicted. I often wonder if they missed that, getting preoccupied with the suffering and death. There was hope even beyond his death, of course. But at least when Peter, maybe the others, hear about him suffering and dying, the disconnect. Even though Peter has proclaimed him the Christ, the one who was appointed to suffer and die and rise, all that implied in the predictions of the Old Testament, he immediately negates that, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus not only says he has his mind now reversed on earthly things instead of divine things, but even says this is so polar opposite. It is from Satan. He calls Peter Satan here. Get behind me, Satan, and rebukes Peter. Peter doesn't realize that lips confessing Christ means a life confessing Christ. Same sermon outline this week. Showing Christ and what you confess and sing. Showing Christ is important because it also is commanded. A few chapters earlier in Matthew, Jesus reproved the people around him. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts, and we could add today, lives are far from me. It's not enough just to go through lip service. There needs to be life service also. 
and it is commanded, ordained, we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Indeed, suffering, as Jesus says here, taking up a cross and following him. First Peter chapter 2 has a verse that emphasizes that actually, let me start earlier than verse 21. He says, you do good and suffer for it and endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. To this you have been called now to live a life suffering for Jesus because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you follow in his steps. The call of Christ is to confess him with your mouth and live him with your heart and life, sacrificing all for him. It could not be more clear in scripture. But like last week, even more in some ways, the confession of Jesus with lips and life is the way you fight Satan. If Satan wants the opposite, not confessing Jesus even with your mouth, or if you do, not living it with your life, then by the power of his Holy Spirit, Actually, showing Jesus with your life is the worst thing Satan wants. He, he loves for people to gather and sing and say the words and then go forth forgetting the call to suffer and serve in the name of Jesus. Peter says that also in his first epistle. Isn't it interesting how Peter reflects some of these truths years later in the letter he writes. Indeed, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But then he says, resist him. Firm in your faith, attached to Jesus, knowing Jesus suffered for you, cancels your sins. Gives you strength, but notice what he says. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world, that means suffering. It's the way to resist and fight Satan. It is much more potent in the eyes of the devil and this evil world, if we proclaim the name of Jesus, not just through prosperity and good times, but when we are fighting deadly disease, horrible financial ruin, problems we can't seem to solve and still profess the name of Jesus, indeed through persecution and even death. In fact, twice in the rite of confirmation, our confirmands will promise to be faithful, to suffer all, even death, rather than fall away. It's important to show Jesus Christ who suffered and died and rose for you. Indeed, as we follow Christ in his sufferings and even in death, 
we have his life. Jesus promised here, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You'll have eternal life. And Peter finished that section by saying that very thing, after you have suffered for a little while, God himself, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you indeed in his glory. It is through suffering that we follow Christ to the answer for suffering, glory that can't compare to this world's suffering. We follow Christ. Again, this harkens back to a previous sermon message I shared months and months ago. It's come up a couple of times on Sundays. Following Christ means in his wake, we are drawn to the same things he has done for us. To show him. To be with him forever. And that's the way he draws you indeed into glory. As a Confirmation Sunday story, let me share an experience I had in college at a symposium seminar at which was featured a noted theologian and scholar and academic and intellectual man. I forget his name. I forget who he was. I, uh, it was decades ago, but I, I remember one thing. This man was supposed to be a, a great, great exponent of the Christian faith. And people, the whole student body gathered in that Lutheran college to, to hear the defense of the faith, the explanation of things from God. At one point, one student in the question and answer time asked him this question. I remember this. The student said, short and sweet, tell us why you are a Christian. And I'll never forget the man's answer. He paused for only a second and said, because my father was. And he got some hisses and almost booze from the scholarly community. That was not a great intellectual answer, but I've never forgotten it. And I would answer the same, frankly, from an earthly perspective. The reason I'm a Christian is because the man I have respected the most was a Christian and kept the faith through all kinds of trials I won't share. Even I saw two deaths suffering a lot. But I just don't follow that man. Because none of us does it perfectly. I do follow the perfect example of Jesus. That's the key to keeping confirmation promises and living your Christian life for Jesus. Following Jesus indeed, focus on him, the one who did it, went to the cross, suffered and died, 
guarantees glory. And you will find yourself indeed following Christ with lips and life confessing Him. Amen.